Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's the fighting. It's the fighting. Welcome listeners to another episode of The Extra Inch. We're back after a short hiatus. I hope you haven't missed us too much. My name is Windy and I'm joined as ever by my psychic and best friend Bardi. Hello Bardi. Hello Windy. And our tactics guy Nathan A. Clark. Hi mate. That's A for fucking A. Um, (laughs) And we've got a guest, we've got a special guest. We've got Mark from the Spurs Fanatic blog. Hello Mark. Hi. Before we talk to Mark, I just need to let you know, uh, or let you in on some exciting news for the podcast. We've, we've gone and got a sponsor. Um, so it's a bit of an experiment for the next couple of months. Bear with us through this. We've not done it before and we want to see how it works out. What we've done is chosen a sponsor that we feel is relevant to this particular podcast and will be of genuine interest to our listeners. So we've teamed up with OneFootball, which is a football app. It's available on the App Store and on Google Play. Um, it's quite nice because you can personalise your news feed. So I've got mine set to be about Spurs. You can set up notifications and it's got a very nice user-friendly interface. It makes it easy to keep up to date with transfer news if you're interested in that kind of thing. Scores and stats keeps it all in one central place. So have a look at the One Football app and let us know what you think of it. Uh, we'll probably look into some of their featured articles over the next few episodes and, and we'll see how it goes. Um, it's been a while since we've all got together, of course. And in fact, we've not actually covered any of the season so far, so we've got lots to talk about. And we're going to make this into a two-part uh, sort of welcome back return. We asked the Twitter hive mind for talking points and questions, and we got loads of stuff back, which broadly falls into into groups. So we're going to try and cover off as much as we can across these these two episodes. And in this first part, we'll be looking at the home match against Barcelona and how we might adjust for the away match. The formations that Spurs have used so far in the season, how they might be impacted by our central midfield option, because I think those two things are very much interlinked, and our attacking midfielders. But to start off with, let's just let Mark introduce himself properly. So Mark, tell us a little bit about your site, your Twitter feed, and how analysis of football matches all started for you. Um, Well, it all started years and years ago when I went to my first Spurs game. I actually saw Clive Allen tear uh, Arsenal apart. And that really had me interested in like what players do in order to gain an upper hand or an advantage and what teams do to gain upper hands and advantage on other teams. Um, so I really started on a lot of the forums, um, talking to people there. And what really changed for me was discovering Michael Cox's Zona Marking blog in about 2010. And that just really changed my mindset on, you know, what, 
tactics and uh, teams and, and what teams employ in order to beat each other. Um, and then that really led me into that you could actually sort of produce your own blog and start on the internet and do it that way. So I've been running Spurs Fanatic for about seven years now. Um, I don't know how many people have actually run into it, but it's grown steadily from nothing to about 30,000 people a month now. And I just enjoy really just unleashing my uh, thoughts and, and uh, musings on tactics and Tottenham's games on the site. And there's like great uh, readers and people that interact with me. And I've met lots of people through um, the site and through um, going to Spurs games because of it. That's awesome. I think Michael Cox is a very modest man and doesn't quite realise the impact he's had on all kinds of, of bloggers and, and writers. Um, he, he kind of opened... Open the eyes of many into what can be achieved in a blog. I think from a from a sort of analytical perspective, because so much football writing is is really about adding colour to matches and and making matches interesting for those who haven't been able to attend. But of course, football writing can also be for those who have attended but just haven't quite picked up on the nuances. And I think that's something that that you do really well, Mark. You you pick up on things that the sort of more casual watcher wouldn't necessarily spot or, or the, the little tweaks in games that make a big difference but that you don't necessarily know about because either the the commentators or the um the analysts in the studios and, and tvs don't quite get the don't or, or aren't so interested on on the, the the specific detailed nuances so you know i i applaud your your work it's um it's meticulous and it's 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 also very easy to read so um you know we, we're great we're very grateful you've been able to join us for this um and and i think We'll probably start off with you actually, because we want to talk first about the Barcelona, um, the, the home, the home leg as, as such of the Barcelona. Um, I know it's not it's not a two legged affair, but essentially it is in the, in the Champions League group stages. Um, we had a few questions. So Ian Reid uh, from Twitter said, "Could you walk us through Poch's tactics during the Barcelona game? What did he adjust and why, and did it work?" I haven't read your um, your Barcelona match review, Mark. So it'll be it'll be fascinating to get your thoughts. Tell us, tell us about how you think it went and what you thought Poch, is, Poch set out to do. Well, I think Poch set out to actually be quite aggressive. And we saw that in the first minute where we were really pressing high up the pitch and trying to close down extremely early. And that really bit us, to be honest, because as soon as Barca played through us and scored, that really knocked everyone on the chin. And I think we realised we were bit off a bit more than we can chew. And um, the problems that we actually had with that was the positioning of Wanyama and Winks. And both were pressing far too high, and you only have to watch the first goal to see how Wanyama was up pressing, you know, way up with the forward line almost. And as soon as Busquets got the ball, he was in behind the whole of our midfield. Or Busquets is their defensive midfielder, and when he's on the other side of our midfield after about one minute thirty seconds, you know you're in trouble. And it really stemmed from there. But I think we actually showed a lot of spirit to come back. I think we we really did get behind the eight ball early on and we really struggled to get to, to grips with Barcelona's midfield. But one thing we did actually learn, I think, from the pre-season game that we played with Barcelona, albeit it was a really different lineup, was just how vulnerable they are in the fullback areas and how Jordi Alba and um, Samedo really do bomb forward and leave a lot of space behind and teams that attack them quickly in transition can get at Barcelona by doing this. And, and we saw it 
once or twice in the first half where Lucas Moura was able to run off of Alba just because he had bombed forward. And um, when we got the goal back through Harry Kane, we really attacked both fullback spots. And within about the space of 10 seconds, you had the throw out from Lloris, went in behind Jordi Alba, and then Lamella crosses straight across the pitch and finds Kane running past Samedo, and then he can dink and put him on the floor and score a goal. And I think we realised once from that that we could actually come back into this game. And we almost tied it up at 3-3 with Lucas Moura darting in behind Samedo in the fullback area and then just had that shot that was blocked by Longley, which was went out for a corner. And had that gone in, we would have been talking about a completely different result and maybe even, you know, a massive boost in confidence for the team. It was a, it was a strange old game because although we were outplayed for, for much of it, we, we could have actually got a result. It's much like like the Liverpool game, I guess. Um, Nathan, what, what do you think of the way things went? And, and did you think that we were a little naive, perhaps? Yeah, uh, I I feel very similarly to Mark, which which is often the case whenever I get around to reading his uh, uh, analysis. I think, yeah, that's exactly the way I saw it. Um, I do think that although we did initially press and although we got sort of done by that almost straight away, um, we did also at later times drop into a, a more medium block. Um, and I think that, that that probably is something that we'd planned to do, but we had planned to do it not from immediately a goal behind. Um, so I think that there there were some ideas in there and there was some respect in there, but obviously as as Poch himself alluded to, and is and as is quite obvious, it all very much fell apart. You know, Messi got two touches on the ball and immediately opened us up, and um, you know that's that's what it's like to play against Barcelona to play against Messi. So um, I I we, I don't think we can be too despondent because uh, we were missing half our team and we're playing against a really obviously fantastic team we we did fight at the end although we also did sort of drop off a little in the middle so it's easy to look at the end and go well we we fought for it but yeah we also sort of um kind of gave up for a little bit in the middle so um yeah i don't think we can be too upset with that i think um, mark pointed out that um barca's fullbacks could be got at and I think that's a, a very valid point. Um, but I also thought their fullbacks were vital in, in them attacking us. And Alba ended up with three assists. And, and that little triangle uh, on that side of Alba, Coutinho and Artur, who I thought was absolutely sensational on the, on the night. Um, they, they really caused us problems. And we didn't have any kind of um, response to it. We, we, we had a problem with Mora didn't know whether to stick to Artur or to, to move out with Alba. And that often left, left Trippier exposed quite regularly two against one and you know Trippier's not the best defender at the best of times that when he's got two top quality players coming at him he's got no chance and I thought his his defensive abilities were um were exposed quite quite terribly in this game um Davinson Sanchez was also incredibly shaky certainly in, in the early stages of the game he, he did get better as it went on the other player who's kind of been widely spoken about is Harry Winks and we had a question from Tom Wedge who said which of the hot takes about Winks was correct Great or liability, Barney? What did you make of Winks's performance? Um, I thought Winks was good, but I, I would just like to highlight the performance of Busquets. It's probably one of the best centre midfield performances I've seen live in my life. I thought he was outstanding, and I thought I thought Winks did a good job up against him. Um, for Spurs in general, there was this um, this slogan of Erbstein in the Dominic Bliss book that I'm reading, and his favourite quote when it comes to how you should play football, he says, "Courage." plus sweat, plus calm, plus class equals victory. And as I was watching that game against Barcelona, we have 
loads of three of those qualities, but I just think we're lacking that calmness. And when you look at Busquets and how he played, I think, I think Winks would have learned a lot. He performed well. He did great. He, everyone's seen the gif of his tackle on Messi, but I actually think his composure on the ball was, um, was the most promising thing I've seen from him. And I've been concerned about our centre midfield since, since the summer. And Winks looks like he might be able to do something for us there. I think we still don't have enough to really challenge with our midfield, but I think there's a lot to, there's a lot of promise from Winks and maybe he will recover the, um, the form he had early last season. So, so Bardi's leaning more towards great. I thought, uh, Winks started poorly and got better, um, in a nutshell. Mark, what did you make of Winks' performance? I thought he was pretty average and to be honest I wouldn't have been surprised to see him take off within the first sort of 70 minutes and the last 20 minutes after Dyer came on um, I thought he was exceptional but I think it was more to do with his partner than actually him because Wanyama still isn't match fit he looked incredibly rusty and I don't know why he was starting ahead of Eric Dyer um, I know Dyer's not been in the best of form but he is fit and healthy and Wanyama just looks off the pace and you could see that on um, when um, Messi was hitting the post on the second one, I think it was when Wanyama got stripped of the ball by Suarez, and he's just not at 100%. He's still getting his match legs under him. Um, his touch and control isn't there, and I think Wink sort of really suffered um, with that throughout the first 70 minutes. And then when Dyer came on, he looked so much better. He just looked like a different player. It, it was it was a performance of two halves. I I totally agree with that. I I felt like. I felt like Wanyama got overexcited in in this match, and it, I mean it was a really bizarre p- performance from him, and uh, you could say a bizarre use of him from Pochettino because presumably that was instruction to press as high as he did. He, I can't see why he'd have done it otherwise. Um, as you mentioned earlier, he was often found in the Barcelona half chasing people down, and then that left a gaping hole in the middle of our midfield, and and obviously Winks wasn't going to fill that by himself. Um, you know, he was he was partly to to blame in the press as well. Um, so a really strange one. And then when Dyer came on, it, he didn't, he didn't really press so much. He, he was happy to hold position that allowed Winks sort of a platform to actually get on the ball and, and run with it. Um, so, so thinking about the second match against them, because we might well need to get a point or perhaps more out of that. Greg Jenner, lovely Greg Jenner from Twitter says, what formation should we play against Barca next time, assuming injuries are less of a problem? Buddy, do you got any thoughts on, on how, how we can tweak things to, to actually get something out of the next game with them? Oh, God, I don't know, man. They, they were, they were really good. I think Vertonghen being fit will be a massive help. I, I don't think Sanchez or Alderweireld look very comfortable playing on the left of a two. And that hurt us quite a lot. And I would honestly consider playing Danny Rose. There was moments in there where I thought on, on Wednesday night that Danny Rose should have come on. There seemed to be a reluctance to pass the ball out to Davies. He had a lot of space, but he didn't seem to use it very well. So I would, Get, if Vertonghen's fit, play a back four, put Vertonghen in, play Rose, and perhaps, I know it's a bit weird saying this, but even give um, play Aurier in front of Trippier, because I thought Trippier was pretty bad on the night. Inter- I, I thought you'd immediately say um, a back three. We had some questions, uh, similar questions to Greg's really, from um, Michael, MK Yume, Nick Smith, and Ben Foreman, who Ben asked specifically whether we should play a back three uh, to compress the vers- vertical passing lanes and minimise their scoring chances. I, and I thought, I thought, Bardi, you being such a fan of the back three would instantly say that's the, that's the solution for the next match. Um, th- th- for me, you can, there's two ways you can play this. You can d- d- defend deep and then try and hold on, try and get something, or you can go at them. Barcelona will create chances and they will, they will, um, have opportunities. 
I think the key for us is to have a bit of composure in the team and not allow ourselves to um, almost be played by the occasion again. You can't play Barcelona and be one nil down and chasing the game. And I don't think it's a lot. I don't think but on the on the night. I don't think there was a lot in it on the pitch. I just think mentally they're so composed. They know how to play. And I think our players they're not in the best of form. Some players are mentally tired as well as physically tired. And I think that more than anything is what we need to address. Going into the new camp, we need to be calmer. We need to play football. We need to relax a little bit. We can't play this ridiculous childish football which Lloris and Trippier did within the first couple of minutes so more than tactics I think mentally they need to we need to change and we'll learn from it. Nathan what are your thoughts would you agree with that do you think there's anything tactically we can do to to improve things in the next match? I I would I would latch on to the idea of the back three um not with like a, a sort of a definitive certainty but like so we as a club play um, and not entirely dissimilar brand of football to Barcelona in that when we have the ball, we lean on a positional play model, which is based on how we divide up the pitch and how we see the spaces of the pitch, which is based on playing against the back four. Um, so both of our clubs do this way. Um, and you may well notice that Spurs have had issues against clubs that play a back five because it disrupts the way that we create space. So if we can then turn it around and do that against Barcelona, then there are positives there. The 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 downside is that you potentially create um sort of a one v one between Vertonghen and Messi. Um and that's a little scary. It's you know, it, either way you're playing Barcelona at the Camp Nou, so there may not be a tactical solution. But I I think that you can look at the back three and say, yeah, if we can feel that that may well help us. And I suppose that then allows you to play Trippier that bit higher. And given that Trippier has been one of our, one of our key players in terms of progressing the ball from back to front, that, that might be of, of some use as well. Mark, is there anything that you, you'd add to what's already been said on how we, how we might uh, get something out of the next game against Barcelona? Well, I think we've got two real choices for it. And the first is to match them 4-3-3, which we did in pre-season. And um, having speed like Mora and Son on the outside can actually give them a lot of trouble. And in the preseason game, we did actually get in behind their fullbacks quite often doing that. And I think that's a real option if we are chasing like three points and we need three points to qualify. Um, my personal choice would be to go with a back three. Um, I think we really need to test out playing something like a 3-5-2 where we play Kane and even Lorente up with him or Son off of him. Just because if Barcelona are coming out with their manic press where they're just swarming like bees all around us then I think the option to actually just play long ball is one that's a really good one against them and teams that have done it have had really good success against them and I think you can just play up to use Lorente as a, a, a focal point just to play off and run players off him because he's so big and aerially strong he's not the greatest player in getting us goals and he hasn't really come in and had an effect for us but as we saw in the Madrid game in the Bernabeu last year's season he can do a real job for you when you use him as a focal point and play off of him and I think if Barcelona are going to come out and swarm us we've had difficulty playing through the press um, against a few teams this season and I think actually employing that where you can use wing backs as well to get out and put crosses in but in order to hit him early, so you're going straight over the Barcelona press and then having Kane work off of him, and then you can employ like Mora or Son, like a quicker player off of him as well. So I think that is a real option. Mark, not being any disrespect at all, but when you first started talking then and you mentioned Llorente, I thought, what the heck is this guy talking about? 
I knew no... I had to clarify yeah. it. I knew I had to clarify it. <laughs> I thought there's no way that Potts is going to throw in a curveball like this. And then I remembered, before you even said it, that he did. He did exactly that last year, and it worked terrifically. So, you know, maybe there is something in that. And, you know, being the fact that he's Spanish and he's played against some of these players before um, and perhaps knows some of their weaknesses, that there, there could well be something in that. That's, I, would, I would just like to say before the extra inch gets accused of lunacy that I opt out of this decision. <laughs> Barley unsubscribes from the Urente uh, take. <laughs> fine, fine. It also gives us, sorry to jump in, but it also gives us a real tactical advantage at corners and set pieces because with three centre-backs on the field, you've got three really strong players. Throw in Kane and Lorente as well, that's five that's going to overwhelm them. And when you've got someone that can deliver a ball like Trippier, who's less of a liability at wing-back, then I think you've also got some advantage at set pieces as well. But this is purely from a chasing three points or even even a, you know needing results or a point sort of point of view. Yeah, I mean, if we go into it not needing necessarily anything, then then perhaps it will just stick to what we've done and, and see what happens. But you're right, if, if we're desperate, if we need three points, then going left field might be the only way. So while we're talking about formations, let's let's go on to talk a little bit about the formations we've used so far this season. And, and I think a lot of this will relate to or relate back to our central midfield choices. Um, we'll start off with a question from uh, Keith Weichel, who says, Our three at the back was pretty quickly jettisoned. What factors and problems do you think Pochettino saw with it that has put us back to a centre-back pairing, which has had its own issues so far? Nathan, let's start with you on this one. The three at the back seems to have gone again. Um, is this purely down to the injury issues or is there something more to it? Uh, a bit of both. I think I think it's two key factors, which is that Pochettino sees us as having three senior centre-backs and he wants to rotate through the um, large number of games we've had where we've had several players, you know, both Vertonghen and Alderweireld were in the, the uh, semi-finals. Davinson was around for quite a while, so we're thin on the ground at the back and he wants to rotate them. But also, because of our central midfield issues, he's wanting to play three central midfielders or, you know, one defensive midfielder and two central midfielders. Um, so that's simply on the basis that there's only 11 players you can put on the pitch on one time, um, removing a centre-back from your starting lineup in order to put in a central midfielder sort of eases things up so you don't have to worry about you know who's playing up with Kane and stuff so I think it, it's it's rotation and it's about central midfield I don't think that he has given up on the back three I think that if we can sort out central midfield and if we uh, um, sort out our, our squad depth then we may well see the three at the back come Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewellery only on BlueNile.com Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss I'm back and I think that leads in nicely to a question from uh, Johnny Wall on Twitter who said let's talk about Eric Dyer 
What's wrong with him? Has he peaked? And what would we need in a replacement if we go in that direction? And I think, if you don't mind, I'll just, I'll just, um, I'll just have a quick say on this one first. Uh, to me, to me, Dyer looks like he's absolutely running on empty. And lots of people have said, you know, well, he didn't really play much for England over the summer, so it shouldn't really have an effect. But I, I disagree with that. I feel like, although he may not have participated in many of the matches, he was obviously there. He was training every day. He was focused. He was concentrating. He didn't get to, have the downtime, the relaxation, the off, the off period, the, the break that players do need over the summer. And, you know, Dyer's still a relatively young man. He's only 24. Um, and over the past four years, he's made, I think I've worked out it was 180 appearances for us. And there aren't many players that have made that many or more. I think Kane and Ericsson might be the only other two around that mark. I, I didn't check, but, uh, Larice and Vertonghen are the other two that, that come to mind. Um, but that's a heck of a lot of games for a relatively young man who's, not really had a proper break, I suppose, since uh, since he joined us. There's no real, there hasn't really been a, 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 an obvious rotation option for him because he's he's either been playing with uh, Dembele or or Winks or another. When Yama came in, but I think Dyer was playing at the back when when Yama was playing in midfield. Um, so it's not been easy for him to to take a break or for Poch to give him a break. And I and I think he just needs a rest. And, and to come back, I mean, I don't think Dyer's the greatest player in the squad. I don't think he's the worst player in the squad. I think he's a, he's a functional player that can fulfill a number of roles relatively well. Um, I suppose the other thing I'd say about Dyer is the same people who, who, who criticise Dyer are probably the same people who, who give me grief for criticising Trippier. And in a sense, there are similarities between them in that they're both good functional players, but not special. And, and they both potentially do their jobs in ways that we don't always want the players in those positions to be doing that job. So Trippier doesn't run with the ball. He crosses a lot. That's not my preference. Dyer splits the centre-backs. He's not the best passer in the world and he, he doesn't really do a great deal with the ball. That's not a lot of people's preference for a central midfielder. So I think a lot of it comes down to, to personal preference. But, you know, Dyer just needs a break. But but Mark, let's let's get your thoughts on our central midfield and, and Dyer in particular. What what do we do to fix central midfield? Do you sort of see any, any green shoots in amongst it all? Um, well, starting off with Dyer, I think what you said is spot on about him being tired from the World Cup. And I think he's also suffering from playing in defence and midfield. I think it's just messing him up a little bit. I think he needs one position and to play it. And I think that position is central midfield and he shouldn't really be playing centre-back. I think we should explore other options there. Um, in terms of central midfield and overall, we've had Wanyama out injured for so long. Dembele isn't quite the same player he was and I think we've struggled because we've played formations where Dembele has been the sole defensive midfielder, the diamond especially and he can't play at the base of a diamond on his own now at this age he just can't cover the ground, he's still got the power he's still got the strength um, but he doesn't have the speed and the legs to cover the ground anymore so I think we need to sort of look at transition options from that and if we can get a good player in or bring someone through then I think we're in good shape in central midfield. We have options, they just need to be healthy. Do you agree with that, Nathan, or are you more concerned? Uh, definitely some fitness in central midfield would go a long way, sort of just sprinkled all over would help us, but I, I still feel that um, the, the the final sort of um, answer is outside of the squads in the... Um, I really like Winks. I was really impressed with his at least his final 20 minutes against Barcelona. I'm really excited about him. He he plays in my favourite role. He's young, he's English, he's a Tottenham fan. Um, but I, I don't think that he will be at the same level as Dembele. And if we want to improve on our best as a club, we need to at least match 
the perform- performances that Dembele gave us in 2016. Um, so I would like us to go into the January transfer window or maybe wait until the summer um, and really go all out for a central midfielder um, and move Winks back into sort of the second option row in central midfielder. I think there's still plenty of minutes for him there, plenty of ways to develop and plenty of time for him to develop and for us to make really good use of the talents that he has. Um, but I think that we, we need to invest financially in replacing Moussa Dembele. Yeah, I think that's becoming more and more clear. And, and to me, it seems fairly obvious why Poch was, was was ready to let go of Dembele because, frankly, he's just not the player he was, quite sadly. Um, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a very capable player still, but he can't hold a midfield together by himself, which he did for basically two years. We had a question from Mittle who said, in away games against the big teams and against Liverpool at home, Poch plays this narrow diamond midfield, pushes the fullbacks high and plays with two forwards. I've not seen it work once. Why does he keep doing it? What tactical benefit does the narrow midfield give us? It's quite an accus- accusatory uh, question, and uh, but one that I, I tend to agree with. Um, Bardi, wh- why do you think he, he's played this narrow diamond this year? It, it, each year there seems to be some kind of new tactic introduced from Pochettino, and this year seems to have been the narrow diamond so far. What have you made of that? Um, I agree with the with the comment and with what you've said. I haven't liked it. Um, I think a lot of it is trying to support Kane in um, in how he's looked a bit sluggish and trying to get more bodies in midfield. I think everything pretty much comes up with like what what Nathan said is the issue is there in centre midfield and those um, those problems we see in Dyer every game and the fact that Dembele is is dead. So um, yeah. I, we played a narrow midfield to try and add some more bodies there and make the most of Lucas, who was our kind of um, form player for the start. But um, it doesn't add anything to us. And I've said on the, the fighting cock a few times that the sooner we stop playing that formation, the better. Mark, have you seen anything at all in this uh, in this midfield diamond to, to like or, or to, to that gives you hope that it could be a system that we can use in the future? I think it's an option. Um, we've had a few seasons where we said Poch had no plan B. Well, now we've got a plan B, C, D and E kind of thing. We've seen quite a few formations out of him. Um, we got results against Fulham and Manchester United with it. I don't like it because, but it does, it does really base itself around Poch's ethos, which is to control the middle of the pitch. He likes to get four bodies all, all the time in the middle of the pitch to control that zone, that central midfield zone and create chances through the middle because they have the highest percentage chance of going in. And that's what the formation looks to do. It looks to get two strikers on the field. It was probably designed because last season the Vogue formation was three centre-backs. Well, three centre-backs against Harry Kane is three men for him to take on, which makes his job a lot tougher. Having two guys up there means that you're actually more competitive on the numbers rather than playing against um, a back four. But in terms, it does make us extremely narrow and you need exceptionally quick fallbacks from it, which we don't have in uh, Davies and Trippier. And that's where it falls down and where Liverpool just completely abused us with it. They were just able to leave their wide boards high and just run into the spaces that our fullbacks were leaving. But I can see why Poch has done it. I don't think it's really a solution and it does take away from Harry Kane, as a lot of people have pointed out, the Lucas Moura situation playing up there with him does take Kane's space away from him and he makes a lot of the same runs. But I can see why Poch gave it a go in that he's trying to take on 4-3-3 as the Vogue formation this season and it's going to move away from the 3-5-2 to the 3-4-2-1 to the uh, 4-3-3 because of the success Liverpool and City and Chelsea are having with it and it's going to be the, the, the new shift that you're going to see in the Premier League this season. And I think the 4-4-2 diamond is a way to counteract that by just trying to overrun the three central midfielders in a 4-3-3 by using a diamond four. 
But I, I would like to add that I think we're incapable of playing the full free free because unlike Chelsea and Man City and even Liverpool to some extent, we can't control the ball how we used to. The, um, we were getting caught out against Liverpool because we were losing possession. We were unable to hold on to the ball or to move it properly. And everything comes down to this sense of midfielder. And I, I, I want to punch myself in the head because I, I keep saying it. But the problem is our inability on the ball is causing us issues the moment we lose it. Players are out of position. Davies, Trippier, uh, they're moving forward, looking for the ball. Davies was quite often um, against Barcelona, calling for it, shouting for it, and it wasn't coming his way. So I think once we can sort out that problem, hopefully we fix it in January. Once we can put a midfielder in there who's able to control the ball, pass it, beat the press, then I think a lot of our problems will, will disappear and it will even make this diamond formation look okay. It just makes you so frustrated we didn't stump up the extra five million or whatever for Jack Grealish. He's a player that, that is good on the ball. We can control the ball and, and can can beat the press with dribbles. So um, sort of the logic behind going for him is clear and our failure to land him is, is, a, is a major frustration now because by this point he could be settled in, he could have played a few games and he could be a mainstay, but there we go. I mean, Nathan, at the start of the season we were talking, and, and Mark mentioned it there about controlling midfield, we were talking about other ways that might happen and you were, you were suggesting that perhaps we might play with these inverted fullbacks in the way that Pep did last season. And, and we sort of semi-expected Davis and Trippier to be used slightly differently and we've not really seen that so far. And rather, he's actually played Trippier higher and Trippier has been one of our main methods of, of getting the ball forward in a, in a slightly kind of throwback way. What have you made of that? Uh, uh, yeah, you've got to give... Uh, Trippier, his, his credit where it's due in, in in terms of his ability to pass the ball, um, certainly a strength of his. Um, I am frustrated that we never used the inverted fullbacks that I, I was talking about in the summer because I think our opening two performances where we played a, a midfield trio of, of Dyer, Deli and Eriksson was really good, um, except that we were vulnerable to opposition pressure, so we brought Dembele on and then Dembele started starting games uh, you know against united so um yeah i think that that midfield was was really quite promising and i think inverted fullbacks i mean i don't know if he tested this you know um in training and maybe things didn't go the right way or whatever um but but i felt that that's the direction we could have gone in um so it's frustrating and i and i do think that the trippier's passing ability tra- would translate into mm. an inverted role really well yeah i still think there's legs in that i i really do i think it's it suits a number of different players in our in our squad um Let's let's talk about something a bit more positive because we've been a bit downbeat about central midfield. So the the good thing to come from the season so far has been our attacking midfield, or certainly the emergence of Lucas and the re-emergence of Eric Lamella. And Sanjeev Kumar says, is Lamella player of the season so far? Paul Rosser says, how long is it until Lamella wins the Ballon d'Or? Um, how good has Lamella been so far, Mark? Um, well, I don't think he's the player of the season so far. I think he's our impact player of the season so far because he's come off the bench and just done wonders. He's not been fantastic when he started games, um, but he is giving us something different through um, the attacking midfield position. He's able to move with the ball. When there's space between the lines, that's where he sort of excels. And I th- think that he will he'll always be on the fringe because he doesn't offer us that uh, the same level of drive and ability to change direction and beat a man that Lucas does. And Son also has that speed where he can get in behind and he plays better from a wide position. Um, so, but I think he's a really nice option now to a change of pace option and also a guy that can, can come in and do a job. But 
he is my impact player of the season so far for sure because he's really made a positive difference. All the goals that he's been getting coming off the bench, Brighton, Barca, you know, he's, he's doing well. And the glorious thing about Lamella, of course, is that he always leaves everything on the field and it's it's so good to watch. Um, I don't know if there's been a more uh, enjoyable moment this season than uh, his, his, his clothesline on Wednesday against Barcelona, which was... So spiteful and and so hilarious, and he somehow he got he got a yellow card for it, but it was it was great. Um, and then we've got Lucas, who's who's done pretty well so far. He he was certainly the the catalyst against United, and he's had some other strong performances as well. Bardi, what position do you think Lucas is more suited to? That's a question from Mister WP. Um, I like Lucas when he's wide. He's um, obviously we know he's fast. He's he's an excellent dribbler. He commits defenders, and I I haven't been blown away with him. I think he's good in moments. I think he disappears quite often from a game. I've, I've really liked Lamella. Um, on Wednesday night, within the crowd, there was, there's a huge swell of, um, public opinion change towards him. He's, um, I think his, his attitude's always been excellent, but all of a sudden he's now consistently doing it and he's starting to score goals, which has always been, um, something, a stick to beating with that. Where's the end product? Of course, we could look towards the stats, um, the assist stats and stuff like that, but you know, Proper football men don't look at don't look at assists, but all of a sudden Lamella's now. Um, I think he's turned the corner. Hopefully he can stay fit. Um, I agree that he might not always start. He might not always fit our formation, but I think he's been excellent. And um, you know, long may it continue. And as I said, Lucas is he's done okay for me in fits and starts. I'm not overly blown away by him, but um, he gives us something while Son at the moment looks out of sorts. And and finally, Nathan, what have you made of our attacking midfield options so far this season? Yeah, it's it's good to have depth there, but we've also desperately needed that depth there because we're currently missing both Ericsson and Delhi, um, and Sun is fatigued. So yeah, uh, Lamella has been really good, uh, as Mark says, off the bench, and I'd like him to return to the bench, not because I don't um, really appreciate him as a player and adore him as a character, but because um, I still think he's below Delhi and Ericsson in, in the pecking order. Uh, what's Lucas's best position? I don't think that players have positions. I don't think that they have best positions in most cases. I think that um, it's really good to have a player who can play on the right, who can play on the left, who can play up top if Kane is being slow or whatever. And I, and I think it's um, creatively refreshing for players to be moved about. Um, so I, I think Lucas's best player is in our squad. Yeah, I would just also like to shout out because I do feel like I might personally might be quite um, quite down in this podcast. But I thought Kane looked looked brilliant. He really does. Whether he was tired or not, or whether it was just a, a bad patch of form, he looked at points unplayable, and um, he looks back. Yeah, yeah. We've seen that in the last couple, and I'm 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 starting to think that I was wrong in my thoughts that he needed a a, a sustained break, and actually. You know, the coaching staff ultimately have got him back to, to the levels he was at pre-injury now, I think. Um, and they did that. They mentioned in their press conference that Kane, Trippier, Rose and Vertonghen had had different training plans for the, the past week, um, leading up, to, I presume, leading up to the Barcelona game. And that certainly worked well for Kane. Uh, he, he really did look like he had the lot again against Barcelona and he took his goal absolutely exceptionally. And it was it was fantastic. But having said all this, Part of me still thinks it could have been avoided by a prolonged break at the start of the season and perhaps he would have come back fit and firing after that. We'll never know. We'll never know whether that, whether that's real. Um, I'm just, I'm just chuffed. I'm just absolutely chuffed that he seems to be back to his best because my god, do we need a fully fit and firing Kane? 
I love you, Chris. You you admit you're wrong, but you also admit you were right at the same time. That's, that's, <laughs> why, that's, that's why you're my favourite. Uh, Mark, any thoughts from you on Kane? Um, I think he looks, you know, as we said, back to really, really good level. And I don't know how much having a new kid has like played into this as well, because like whether he's just been having a lot of sleepless nights and that's why he looks so tired and stuff as well. I don't know. Um, but he does the last few games. He has looked fit and firing again. And I think, again, it's moving away from the diamond, actually giving him the space to do what he does best up front on his own rather than crowding him with other players. I think he's really helped him out because, I mean, he looked good against Brighton as well. And against Barca, he was just physically strong as well, just knocking players off of him. And when even when he dropped into the number 10 position and some was shifted up top, I think that was maybe a move by Poch to try and get him on the ball more because he was looking a serious threat on the ball. He was just big, strong, and they couldn't really... It took two men to bring him down sort of type thing. He, he, he was really looking good in that situation. But um, I don't think he's... 100% over sort of the World Cup fatigue and I think we should have really rested the World Cup players in week one at Newcastle and just brought them back a bit later like with Chelsea, Chelsea did with their players. Hazard looks superb at the minute and I think he benefited from having just that extra rest that our players didn't get and we took players on a pre-season tour like Ericsson and Son and they were going to the US just a couple of weeks after playing in the World Cup which is madness. Um, but Hopefully now with the season settling down a bit, then we can rotate a bit more and, and get players the rest that they need. That's a great point to end on. Um, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you and we'd love to have you back at some point later in the season if, if you're interested. Um, where, where can people find more of your work? Um, you can find the blog at SpursFanatic.com and I'm on Twitter at SpursFanatical. I would say Mark is very much a must-follow must on Twitter for anyone who's interested in tactical side of things from a Spurs perspective. Nathan and Barty, thank you both very much. We'll be back in a couple of days with part two of this uh, long-form Welcome Back to the Extra Inch. And uh, we'll include plenty more questions from, from listeners. For now, uh, you can find us at The Extra Inch on Twitter or you can email us at theextrainch at thefightingcock.co.uk. Thanks for listening and see you soon. Hey, Ohio, have you heard the buzz? Slinger's Signature Cocktails are the new go-to to to go. Slinger's are convenient, canned, cocktail-inspired flavored beverages that bring you delicious flavors like Bahama Mama, Peach Screwdriver, and Pineapple Punch with 8% ABV. They pack a punch at a price you can't beat. No time to make fancy cocktails? Don't want to break the bank on a night out? Slingers has you covered. Blast your taste buds, not your wallet. Grab Slingers today. American Fermentation Company, Boston, Massachusetts. Please drink responsibly. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.